we've been in a series called Rediscover Church. And to rediscover something is to discover something that's been forgotten or ignored. And I know church has been forgotten and ignored. And a lot of that is because we have a wrong understanding of what church is. We think church is a place or maybe you had a bad experience with church. And we forget that church is about Jesus. And these are some things that we've been talking about over the last um, few weeks. We've been rediscovering church. Today we're going to talk about church is a mission. Whether you realize it or not, we're on a mission together. And when you think mission, don't just think going to Africa or some remote place. We are on a mission together that Jesus has called us to do and to be. He's given his uh, marching orders, so to speak. In Matthew 28, at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus is, has has died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and then he gives these marching orders to the disciples. And we are disciples of the disciples. So he's talking to you and I as well when you hear these words. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. That's powerful in itself. All authority is in the person of Jesus. He's the name above all names. In heaven and on earth, and then he says, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you or taught you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're new with us at Novation and you're wondering that Scripture reference, what does NASB 95 mean? It's the New American Standard Version from 1995. So if you ever wonder what, that's just, we're telling you what version um, that we're using. I don't want anybody to be confused on that. But I think those words are so powerful. The word authority. He says, go and make disciples. Jesus said he would build his church. He's given us the job of making disciples. So we become disciples and then we make disciples. And he says, baptize them. We're going to do baptism, offer baptism on April 10th. If you've never been water baptized to be a public declaration of your discipleship to Jesus, um, to show that you're with the church, that's your opportunity on April 10th to be water baptized. You'll hear more details on that. And then he says, teach them. Teach them what I've taught you. Pass it on. I think part of the problem why so many people misunderstand church is that church is often presented as who's in and who's out. We use language like, like how many members are in your church. And the word membership can mislead a lot of people because membership means you know, I paid my dues. You get a membership to Costco. You get a membership to the gym or to a country club. You pay your dues and then you get the privileges and the perks that come with being a member. Church is not a membership. Now the word member or membership is in scripture, but it's not used in that sense of being a member to a club or exclusivity of some sort. First Corinthians 12 talks about 
members being, as if you look at your own body, you have many members that make up your body, hands, feet, eyes, head. And, and the Apostle Paul says that we, we, we have members that, that work together. And he uses that allegory to the body of Christ, that we are many members. We're not all mouth. We're not all head. We're, he, he's the head. We're not all eyes. We're not all feet or whatever. Some are little pinky toes, right? You might feel like a pinky toe sometimes, but have you ever blown up your pinky toe accidentally? You need your pinky toe to walk. So everybody is included when it comes to the, the need in the body of Christ. And so we have to, one of, one of the things that we say about novation is that we're missional. And what it means to be missional, to have a missional mindset, is to live with the mindset as if you were in a foreign country learning a, a new language and a, a new culture. And how would you minister? How would you look for opportunities day by day in that culture to share Jesus? Well, we, we live in a foreign land, if you name the name Jesus. This isn't home. We are, we are, all of our lives are a short-term mission trip, so to speak, where we have a job to do. And this calling that Jesus has given us gives us all a bigger purpose and vision for our life than we could ever dream, what, what we can come up with our own selves for our lives. Now, quick history lesson. The church, it, it, when I say church, as we talked about last week, the universal church got over-organized in about the fourth century. So you have the book of Acts in the early, the early church. And I've been reading a lot of the church fathers that, that were disciples of the disciples, and they didn't talk the way we talk in our world. They didn't think the way we think. They didn't want, it wasn't a political view of what church was about or their faith. It was about Jesus and the Father and the love of the Father. But in about the fourth century, when the Roman Empire was, was still at its peak, their emperor Constantine got a vision that he supposedly became a Christian and was going to make the Roman Empire religion Christianity. And by doing that, people became like national Christians. Like it, it, that's where we get our word Christendom from. Instead of following Jesus, it was Christendom. It was like, you know, if you're born in the Roman Empire, you're baptized as a, as a baby and you're, you're a Christian. You didn't have any choice. That's not Jesus' plan of discipleship. That wasn't Jesus' plan of his movement to change the world to make it some national religion. And it got organized and it got political. And because everybody was Christian, there was no sense of urgency to go and spread the message of Jesus to the rest of the world like you see throughout the book of Acts and what happened in the early church. And then it just kind of lost its oomph. Now, I know God's always been at work, and the gospel's always going to be preached and go forth, and God always has his people. But we can look at that in a place in history and say, let's don't repeat that. And I think we're in, living in a world where definitely in our country is a post-Christian country, 
where people, everybody used to say they were Christian because they celebrated Christmas and Easter, or they were born into the church, or they were baptized as a, as a baby. Jesus wants so much more for us than some religious experience. He wants us to have his vision and his purpose for our life. And I'm telling you, it's the greatest thing that we, if we could grab a hold of it individually and corporately, live a life that, that, and spend our life on what matters most to him. We'll never, ever, ever regret that. So as we rediscover church, this morning we're going to, if we're going to rediscover church as a mission, that's what I want to talk about the rest of our time, as a mission, there's a couple things we need need to do, four things. First one is accept our assignment. Accept our assignment. Now obviously Jesus wants each one of us to trust him as Savior, follow him as Lord. But it doesn't just stop at belief. The word to believe is actually an action word. It's not just, we don't just stop at belief. He wants us to continue his ministry here on earth that he started. That's what the church is. We're an extension of the ministry of Jesus to do what he did. That's what he was telling his disciples. Go and tell people what I've taught you. Go and tell people the good news. How many know and believe that it is good news that death has been defeated, sin has been defeated, and the evil one has been defeated? Is that good news? That's the gospel. So you say, well, what's the gospel? That's the gospel. Those things have been defeated by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so he wants you and I to participate with him, letting others know that. And we're going to talk about how do we do that. Because Jesus said this. He told his disciples, he said, as you, he's praying to the Father, and he says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And he, he's not just saying in the earth. The word world obviously can mean the earth, but the world is the world's system. The world has its way of doing things, and then there's the kingdom of Jesus and the way he wants things to be done. The way of the world is the tendency is selfishness. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get ahead. I got to be successful, blah, blah, blah. The kingdom of Jesus is upside down, where we serve, where we grow in humility, where we love one another, we deny ourselves. Two, two different planes that we're talking about here. And Jesus says, I'm sending my disciples back into this world. And then he tells his disciples, as the father sent me, I also send you. I need to accept that, that assignment. We need to accept that. It's not just missionaries and pastors and church leaders. It's all of us who follow Jesus have been given an assignment. Don't think Africa or the nations when you hear the word mission. I mean, it obviously is part of it. But think, what's he calling me to be here and now? And I think accepting Jesus' vision and, and purpose for our life, this mission that he's created us all to be on, to participate with, is a bigger, better purpose and vision than you and I could ever dream up for ourselves. 
that's so important that we get that. I think there's a couple things that go with that. We have to realize what's at stake if we don't accept that. If, it, if you and I don't accept it, who's going to? And who's going to tell someone about Jesus? God calls people from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve on, has called people to participate with him. Participate with him in what he's doing. He doesn't need us. It's just the way God is. He wants to participate with, with, with us in helping others. Like anything, if we're going to accept our assignment, there's a, a cost that we got to count. A cost. Because salvation didn't cost you and I anything. It cost Jesus everything. But truly following Jesus is going to cost us. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Jesus said, if you'll give up your life in exchange for my life and my calling, that's where you'll find real life. So let's all have that mindset that, yeah, Lord, it cost you everything, cost me nothing, but I do accept this cost of following Jesus. Because there's a cost and a reward. Jesus says, if you give up your life, you'll gain real life, eternal life. Second thing, if we're going to rediscover church as a mission, we need to activate his power. Activate his power. The thing about Jesus is he never, he never asks you and I to do things that he's not going to give us the power to do. So everything he asks us to do, he was willing to do himself and did. What a great leader. But he also says, I'll give you power. I'll give you what you need. If you're going to accept this assignment, I'm going to give you what you need as well. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. That's so important that we get that. You might think, well, I just, I don't feel equipped. Well, neither do I. None of us are. But if we accept this call, and then he'll activate his power in and through our lives. After he was resurrected, he, Jesus hung out for several days. And then before he ascended to the Father, he made a promise to his disciples that on the day of Pentecost, which was going to be 50 days after his resurrection, he was going to pour out the Holy Spirit. And he told them, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to receive what you need to do this assignment when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It takes a power greater than ourselves to accomplish this mission. The early church got this. The early church, and they would pray and miracles happened. And you see that in the book of Acts. And I believe with all my heart that miracles and signs and wonders are still for today. That they didn't die off with the apostles. That, that, that doesn't mean they happen every day. But we should be willing to pray about it. We should be willing to be open and seek the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do anything miraculous or supernatural. It's not anything we possess in ourselves. But let's be willing. Let's be open. Let's seek him for that. Because here's the deal. This is a supernatural mission that we're actually on. We need supernatural power. There is an unseen world where there is a battle in the heavenly realms. There's powers and principalities and rulers 
that we don't see. There's an unseen realm. Now, Jesus defeated and took their authority back by his life, death, and resurrection. So in this, but they're still able to, you know, do their little terrorism, so to speak. They're terrorists. Their authority's been taken away, but, but there's still a battle that's going on. And we need to be aware of that. We need power. There's a spiritual resistance to this mission that the church has been called on. And it happens in ways that we don't even realize sometimes. Through petty arguments, through unforgiveness, through little fights and disunity. That, that's always the work of the evil one is always behind all of those sorts of things. There are obvious works of the evil one, but the not so obvious ones we need to be aware of. We're told in in the scriptures to be aware of the devil's schemes. And he's always behind petty arguments, fights, gossip. The word gossip in Greek is is the word diablos, which is the same word for the devil. So when we gossip or slander somebody, we're diablosing them, so to speak. I don't want to be the devil or act like him, but he's behind all of that garbage, and we need to be aware of that. Thirdly, we need to adjust our approach to this mission that we're on. Take a look at the early church before it got organized and, and, and political and all of that, and it was the early church had something. And I believe God is restoring that back to the church today. He's restoring the, the understanding of the goodness of the Father. And I believe he's restoring the call to discipleship to Jesus. To, to put into practice what Jesus said to do. Again, he told his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, not everyone's going to be called to go to the remotest parts of the earth. Some are, and we're going to talk about that in just a, just a minute. But when you break down this, this little verse here of what Jesus said, he said, you're going to be my witnesses. Your power's going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. What does a witness do? Witness just shares what they saw, what's happened to them. That's what it means to be a witness to somebody. It's just learn to tell people what Jesus has done for you. Who were you before Jesus? Who are you now? How has he got you through the garbage of life? How do you lean in on him? People are looking for this. They are. He says you're going to start in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the, the first place that the gospel began to explode in, and then it began to spread. So if you think Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, think Westminster, Arvada, Denver, Colorado, and, and beyond. That's our, Jeru- our Jerusalem and our Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. A couple things about this. Every believer must believe that Jesus was talking to them when, when he said, I send you. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. I send you. If you're his disciple, you are sent by him. And that's learning, like I said, to tell others what he's done for you. Look for opportunities. 
You don't have to stand on a street corner with a bullhorn and a sign to share Jesus. I'm not sure it's super effective. I know it works sometimes, but relationship is the most context that people come to know Jesus through a friend, through family, a co-worker. And again, I'm going to say it again, the power of invitation. There is something that happens within community. When people are loving each other and caring for one another, through the power of Jesus that becomes the greatest evangelist. Somebody says, I don't know what I believe, but I like this. I like the relationships. I like the people that are part of this church. And so you invite people to not just church service, but to events. The things that we do outside of Sunday are are opportunities for us to get to know each other, but also opportunities to have somebody get a taste of what this community is about. I think that's important. Secondly, if we're going to adjust our approach, leaders must train and equip believers to do the work of the ministry. Christendom created the professional pastor, the professional minister, so to speak. The pastor or the leader or the elder does all the ministry. And that's not effective. That's why pastors get burned out on a weekly basis. If if, if, but my job, and please pray that I do a better job, and I promise I'm going to try to continue to do a better job, is to equip people to do the work of the ministry. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, he says that Jesus gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to equip the believers to do the work of the ministry. That's why there's a lot of team that goes on here at Novation. We have three staff, paid staff members, but man, we're volunteer driven. We are led by people who aren't getting a dime for their time. They do it because of the joy and the sense of calling. So that's our job. A job of a leader is to equip the church to do the ministry. We care for one another in home groups. So we have home group leaders who, who, who lead in, in their home group and they care for one another. And when a crisis comes up in their life, first person they call is someone in their home group or their home group leader. And the more and more that happens, the more we're doing this thing called church correctly, in my opinion. Next, start at home. Start right here. When you think missions, don't let your mind wander to Africa. God might be calling you there, and I'm all for that. But start at home. Start in our own Jerusalem, Judea, where we live. It's our city, your neighborhood, your workplace. That's, that's your mission field. If you're a teacher, you're going to, into the mission field every day. If you're, you know, work in the healthcare, wherever you're at, you're going on your mission field every single day. When we walk out the doors of this church... That's our mission field. And then, this one's tough. (laughs) Be willing to go to places you don't want to go. That's our Samaria. And you think, well, what what do you mean? Well, when Jesus told the disciples that they were going to go into Judea and Samaria, they would be like, what? Like, I don't want to go there. Samaria to the Jews represented a place they didn't want to go because it had people they didn't want to be around. 
the Samaritan people were looked down upon. It, it was kind of a racist deal because they were a, a half-breeds. And so just culturally, they were, they were scorned. And he's saying, yeah, you're going to actually go and love the people that you hate right now. You're going to actually go and love the people who don't think like you, who maybe don't believe like you. And that's what we're being called to do. You're around it every day. You're around it at your workplace, in your neighborhood. And I believe our church does a really good job of being aware of that. You guys do a good job. And we need to, to be willing to talk with people who don't think like us, believe like us, be willing to go to that hard place. And I would ask this question, who, who or where might represent Samaria to you? Who might that be? Where might that be? That God would want you to go and, and be his witness. And then last bullet point on this, this adjusting our approach is to be missional, to rediscover church as a mission, we have to remember that everyone participates in world missions. Some send and some go, but it's, it's 100% participation. The gospel needs to go to the remotest parts of the earth. There are still people who have not heard the good news about Jesus Christ. And there are places in the world where missionaries have gone and the, the church is beginning to explode. We, we all give or we all go. So if we're, if we're senders, that means we send financially to, to missionaries. Every time you give to Novation, we give a portion to Joshua Nations who's going to, to the ends of the earth to train pastors and equip people and the, our Dominican trips and so on and so forth. But we can all give and we can all pray. And what we've been doing recently is, um, Emma, will you come up here? Um, what we've been doing recently, what we're going to do on a monthly basis is give some awareness about culture, nations, that what's going on in the world. A couple, last month, Vesna talked about Mexico. And she talked about how there were places in Mexico, which is crazy to think about in North America, that have never heard the gospel, that had, had unreached people groups and so forth. And so I asked Emma Caldwell, her and her husband Gunner have been part of Novation for a good while now. A couple, yeah, about a year. And she, her and Gunner went to Papua New Guinea years ago, right? A few years back. And we were talking after church a couple months ago, and she was sharing her heart for Papua New Guinea, which I know nothing about, so I'm excited for what you're going to share. But I kind of know where it is in the South Pacific-ish. And it's on her heart, though. And God does that. God puts a people group on people's heart to know how to pray and to, to want to be with them and to see them come to know Jesus. And so this is Emma, and she's going to share a little bit about Papua New Guinea. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm Emma. If there's one thing to know about me, it's I am very passionate about Papua New Guinea. <laughs> um, that's Papua New Guinea. It's connected to the main part of Indonesia, so it shares an island with Indonesia, and it's just above Australia. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to share some facts about Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea was originally colonized, loose term in this situation, in the 1800s by the German. Um, and that's kind of where Papua New, Papua New Guinea's native language of Pishin kind of originated. It's a very odd language that's mixed with like English and German and a few other languages. Um, like if I were to introduce myself, it would just be uh, name belong me Emma, uh, me belong America. And then if I were to like say my age, it'd be like Christmases belong me 23. Um, so it's a very odd language, super broken English basically. Um, yeah, the capital is Port Moresby. And Papua New Guinea is actually still considered one of the most unreached places in the world. Um, there's still to believe tons of tribes and people groups that still have not reached civilization, have never met outsiders, um, and are still living probably, you know, from centuries ago with the way that they live. Um, yeah. There is also 800 languages in Papua New Guinea that are their native tribal languages. Um, so any Papua New Guinean you meet probably knows anywhere from like two to six languages just because of their tribal speak, um, which I'll go into later because that's really where the majority of what's happening in Papua New Guinea is going on. But I put them some pictures up on this slide of just their, what it looks like. There's like four main regions of Papua New Guinea, the highlands, the mainland, um, the towns kind of, and then the coast. So the one on the top right is what their mainland kind of looks like. Um, the towns, that's a photo of like a town, super third worldy, you know, but you know, it's popping. So um, the bottom right is what the highlands look like. They're super moody all the time. And then the coast is really, really beautiful. Um, but you don't really, they don't do much swimming, sadly. And then on the next slide, uh, this is the food. Um, I personally love the food there, but that's just probably because I love PNG. So, but the food, everybody grows their own stuff. Um, like people there live off like one, th one to three kina a day, which would equate about a US dollar. Um, and that's all their families live off of like each day. So they grow all their own food. So they eat a lot of fresh fruit and a lot of root vegetables. Um, they call their potatoes cow cow. Um, and then in the middle there is a mumu, and it's like a traditional feast. And I don't know if you guys can see the pig. It's a little gory, but whatevs. Um, <laughs> it's a mumu, and what they do is they like dig a hole in the ground, and they put the pig in there with a ton of coconuts and vegetables, and that's what they would do for like a bride feast or a wedding or a celebration or anything like that. Um, and then the next one. These are just kind of what the people look like. They're super, super joyful people, um, but also equally as angry. So it's very interesting. But they're not shy of anything. You can see a spider in that one girl's hand, maybe. Um, they are very, very bold and not scared of anything. Um, and then the little girl sitting on the lap, this was the first time she'd ever seen white people. So she was obsessed with us and obsessed with our cameras and everything like that. And then on the bottom left, there's two guys, I think, that are in native tribal wear. Um, that is just a cool thing to experience. Um, they are so passionate, and they love to sing and dance. They're a very, very expressive culture. Um, so they take you know, their tribal practices very, very seriously. Um, so what's going on in PNG? PNG is blowing up. Um, the Lord is on the move there. 
um, mission teams are going there left and right, day in, day out, all the time. Um, so I wanted to highlight a few of the ministries there that I know of that are doing amazing things. So the first one is this, uh, it's a really small mission movement at the moment, but it's called I Care For You. Um, and it takes place at a village outside of uh, their capital, Port Moresby. And it's just a couple named George and Crystal. And what they do is there's a ton of, uh, is the right word, like polyamory, like a lot of men marry multiple wives. There's a lot of prostitution. There's a lot of domestic violence. Um, and there's a lot of AIDS in Papua New Guinea. And this organization takes in women that have AIDS or are in prostitution or their husband left them or whatever, takes them in and rehabilitates them, tries to find them jobs, gives them things to do, and helps them take their AIDS, their AIDS medication. Um, because a lot of people just don't know that you have to take your AIDS medication. So they help with that, and they're a really, really amazing organization. And I, we, Gunnar and I worked with them for about a month one time, and we love them. We love them very much. Um, next is Youth with a Mission. You've probably heard of Youth with Mission. It is a big missions organization for youth all throughout the world. I think there's like 2,000 bases across the world. They have a huge movement in um, Papua New Guinea. There's like four or five bases there in Papua New Guinea. But what they're doing is a thing called EBPN, Ending Bible Poverty Now. So they're creating a bunch of these little SD cards that are audio Bibles, and they're creating them in the mother tongues. So the 800 languages that I spoke about, they're trying to get a Bible in each one of those languages and distribute them. Um, so it's a huge, huge movement. And you know, they always need help with that if you're interested. Um, and then YWAM also has medical ships, mercy ships that are planted all over the, the Pacific usually is where they're at. And they give like small surgeries on like the eyes and like dental care to people that can make the trek to them. Um, and they do incredible things with the health of Papua New Guinea. And the next is MAF, uh, Missions Aviation Fellowship. They have planes in the more rural areas of Papua New Guinea, so up in the highlands. And they fly missionary teams and resources and everything like that to the least reached people in Papua New Guinea. Um, and then they're constantly trying to find the people that are unreached. But that is a dangerous endeavor because they are still operating under tribal life, which means they're scared of outsiders. So it's dangerous, and what they're doing is really, really amazing because they help the country without making the country reliant on their aid, which is important in missions. And then the last one is Wycliffe. They're also doing Bible translation in Papua New Guinea. Um, they're also working on the 800 tribal languages. Um, I wish they would do a better job working with EVPN because EVPN is great at distributing the Bibles and Wycliffe is amazing at um, translating. So I wish they would work together more. So you could pray for that. Um, but yeah, PNG is amazing. There's amazing things happening there. Um, it is mostly a Christian nation, but their problem is the Bible, basically. They read from the Pisson Bible, which is a bit of a rough translation, but they also read from the New King James Version, um, which is a hard one to read, especially when English is not your first language. So they need Bible education, and they need to understand that witchcraft is not a part of Christianity because um, they love themselves in witchcraft and their ancestors. So they really need to 
like fix that line. And that's what these people really are trying to get across to the Papua New Guineans over there. Um, yeah, that's PNG. I'm super passionate about it. But I will tell you, America is the hardest mission field I've ever been called to. So, breach. <laughs> Thank you, Emma. They're pregnant, by the way. <laughs> Last point, I'll wrap it up. Abandon ourselves to God and Himself and His mission in the world. We stand with me. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6 gets a vision. He gets a vision about the glory of God, and he's humbled in the midst of this vision. And then he, he hears a, a voice, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, here I am, send me, send me. And that's us together accepting that call and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm willing who will go for us? Who will give over their will to me so that I can give them a life better than you ever dreamed before? God is looking for those who are willing to say, God, I will be part of your mission. It doesn't mean you're moving to Papua New Guinea, although she would love to move there. <laughs> it means this is our mission field. and People need to hear what you know. People need to hear what you've experienced means you're willing to look for opportunities and to pray. We can all pray and we can all look for opportunities. And I believe when we align our will to God's will, you don't have to, to look for God's will. It will find you. That's the truth. And maybe God's tugging on your heart a little bit today. Answer his call answer his call and let's as a church answer his call to live on mission together we come together to be equipped to go back out into the world and to be an influence so father bless each person listening right now with a new sense of mission and purpose and vision for their life You don't call the equipped, you equip the called. And we all accept today that we've been called and we've been sent. Thank you for this purpose. Thank you. Seal it up in our hearts, Holy Spirit, as we leave this place today in Jesus' name. Amen.